When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. We are on a journey to find the information that's going to help you play the best golf of your life. Join us now as we dive in. Welcome, everybody, to the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. I'm here with special guest, Kent Osborne. He's a performance coach who worked in the business field, uh, working with executives and businessmen uh, for for a number of years and has recently kind of switched over to helping out golfers to improve their mental game and improve their performance on the course. So we have him. He's also written a book, Play Like Ray, and has a new book coming up here pretty soon. Kent, welcome to the show. And Why don't you tell us a little bit about the new book that you got going on? Yeah, it's a book that uh, talks about the uh, uh, mental mastery for uh, avid golfers. And when I say avid golfers, I mean uh, anybody who's really into the game but is not a professional. Uh, because from my point of view, the, um, the, the, the challenge for an avid golfer, for someone who's really into the game, is, is you're kind of in between these two, uh, these two desires. On the one hand, you know you're not a pro. You know you're out there to enjoy yourself, and you know you're there to have fun. But on the other hand, you're serious about the game. You want to play well. Your scores are important to you. Your handicap's important to you. So, and you can't really adopt the same kind of mental or physical program that a professional would. So how do you, how do you find that middle way? How do you find that middle ground uh, and find it in a way that's, that, uh, you know, enhances both your ability to enjoy the game and also, uh, you know, enables you to reach your potential, your scoring potential. So that's what this, uh, that's what this new book will be about. Awesome. Awesome. Look forward to it. So, yeah. I ask everybody on this, um, I know that you started late in life, but what got you into golf? Well, uh, it was actually an injury. It was a combination of two things. It was a, a great, my best buddy and an injury. I was a softball player, a recreational softball player, and uh, my shoulder was so bad that I couldn't throw the ball anymore, but I could still hit. So, you know, and if you're playing recreational, if you're playing beer league softball, you're not going to go there just to hit and sit in the bench and watch the other guys play. So uh, I was looking for something to do. And my best friend who lives in another town uh, showed up for my uh, 50th birthday party and challenged me to, uh, to a, a round of golf. And I said, what the hell? I'll, I'll play. So out I went had a great time. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to take this up as a hobby. So that's what I did. Awesome. All right. So. The little tidbit that I found out here recently is you became a scratch golfer basically we'll say two years ago and you won your club championship last year. So how did you go from picking up golf late in life to getting to that point? Well, it was a, uh, it was quite a journey. I mean, uh, um, I I would say that there was kind of two, uh, two levels of it for me. The first level was uh, when I began, I kind of drank the same Kool-Aid that everybody else did, you know, took, took lessons and read the popular books on, on golf psychology and tried to do the, take an orthodox approach. And I got down to maybe, uh, you know, 12, 13 handicap after seven or eight years, which is, which is good. 
but I felt that I had, I had more potential in that. And so what I did was I, uh, I abandoned the, uh, uh, the lessons that I, that I took or the method that I was trying to swing by, started to put more faith into my ball flight and my own intuition started to look around at the guys at my club and see who were hitting the ball, who was hitting the ball further, higher, better than I was and why. And, uh, and then I also, uh, you know, sat back and said, look, you know, how can I, how can I take my experience as a, as a, a performance coach and apply that uh, to golf? Because I found that the, as I mentioned earlier, that the, the standard approaches to, to golf psychology, which work really well for the pros, aren't as uh, aren't as good for guys like uh, like you and I uh, take for example the uh, the idea of a pre-shot routine well you know y- you can read uh, you know you can read any book on golf psychology or you can read Jack Nicholas's book golf my way and somewhere and I think it's around page 72 or 76 Jack talks about that he would always create a mental movie in his mind. He would see the ball where it wanted to, where it wanted to end up he would see the he would see the trajectory of the shot. He would see the whole thing in his mind. Well, that's fine for Jack. But when I do that, if I'm 160 or 70 yards out and I've got, say, a six iron in my hand, how many times am I going to hit the – how many times am I going to be able to pull that shot off? Maybe once or twice out of 10. And I've got a low handicap. So 70, 80% of the time, I'm going to put an expectation in my mind that I'm not going to be able to fulfill. So there's a big difference between – use the pros using the mainstream golf psychology and us using the mainstream golf psychology, because what I want to do is I want to enhance my ability to execute shots and I want to enhance my enjoyment at the same time. It's a, it's a combination that we talked about. So I decided that I would, uh, you know, look at what I, what I had learned in, uh, in my, in my coaching, my performance coaching, and I adapted that to my golf. And basically what I, what I came to realize was that your mental game mastery uh, evolves in a, in a sequential way. In other words, you, you have to build certain – in the same way that you wouldn't take a 24 handicap and say, let's go out on the range and learn how to hit down a knockdown seven iron. You, you don't want to start working on your pre-shot routine unless you have the beliefs – underneath that to support it and you can't develop the belief to support it if you're continually sabotaging that with negative reactions to to uh, to your shots so there's a there's a sequence that you have to follow and once i understood that it uh, it really made a big difference for me i could kind of build my mental game and and as i and in the same way that i attempted to i looked at my physical game and i said okay you know like what do I need to do to break 80? What do I need to do to get into the mid seventies? What do I need to do to get around scratch? Uh, what do I need to emphasize or focus on? So, uh, and I think that's missing. And the reason why I want to write the book is because I think that's missing. You could, there's a lot of great stuff out there. Look, you know, the, what Bob Rotella writes and what, uh, you know, the vision 54 ladies, uh, Pia Nilsson and, and, uh, her partner. I mean, that's all great stuff. But if you, if you, you had it all in front of you and you read it all. If you read those, those 20 or 30 books, you'd still come away with where do I begin? And, and, and how much of it is all of it relevant for me as a, as a 15 or a 10 or a five handicap, or is it some of it relevant for me? Or, 
so uh, what I'm trying to do is, is uh, filter through that and, and offer something that works for, uh, works for, an, you know, an avid player, someone who's deeply down the rabbit hole, but not going to be on TV anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, cool. And so this sequential order, would you say is, is it kind of basically assessing where you, where you are in the sequence and then building from there or where does well it could be yeah i mean you, you might already be ahead of the game but like the first the first step in the sequence from my point of view at this point i'm calling it acceptance but what really it boils down to is you, you have to stop shitting on yourself on a on a golf course i mean because if you understand how the mind works if you have a, 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 a disappointment or frustration or anything like that after a shot, which is quite normal, but when you put put language on top of that feeling, what you're doing is you're signaling to the subconscious mind that this is important, and you're continuing that that story for yourself. So every time I say, uh, you know, my putting sucks, or keep your head down, you idiot, or or even <clears throat> Even if you, if it's how did that not break left? How did that not break right? All of these things, you know, I hit it fat, I hit it thin. They seem like they're innocent on the surface, but what they're doing is, you, is you're anchoring your subconscious to a story, and the subconscious will function in a way that 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 will promote or maintain or continue that story because um, that's what it's that's what it's designed to do. Now, maybe I should. Maybe I should break in here and say one of the most important things you need to do, I think, if you're a really keen golfer, again, if you're a casual guy, you, you want to play a few rounds a year or whatever, then that's, that's cool. You're not keeping score. You're just hitting the ball. But if you're into it the way that the way I get into it and the way you're into it, likely you need to, know, you need to have a, have a working model of how the mind works. Everybody says all oh, the mental games important, but if you said to them, how does the mind work? And so to me, the, the, the simplest and most useful way to think of the mind is that you've got, you really have three minds. You've got a conscious, you've got a subconscious and an unconscious. And if you think about the unconscious mind, what's that? Well, that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the intelligence that allows your, your heart to keep beating and, you know, your food to digest and all, those, all of those uh, physical processes that happen that you're an expert in. I mean, that's, that doesn't take my conscious mind to get involved in that. Well, one of, the, one of the primary things about the unconscious is that it's, it's, it's hardwired to make everything a habit. Whether it's the way you brush your teeth or, or the way you stand or the way you sit, it, it, it wants to make everything a habit. And why? Well, because 500,000 years ago or a million years ago, you know, habits take up energy. I, sh I should say, consciously thinking about things takes up energy. If you can make it a habit, like driving a car, you're not using mental energy to do it. So a half million years ago, the more energy you could preserve, the more likely you were to, can, you know, help the gene pool out. It was all about preserving energy back then. So now what we need to understand is that your, your thoughts, your patterns of thinking and your patterns of feeling are also habits and the oldest and deepest part of your mind wants to, wants to continue those whether you like them or not. And so I will, you can go into any clubhouse in, in, in the world and you can sit down with a bunch of guys that are 
keen golfers and you could say, hey, why do you belong to this club or why do you play golf? And they'd all say the same thing. I play for fun. I play for recreation. I like being outdoors. I like being with my buddies. And then you go tee it up with them. And when you go tee it up with them, at least half of them are going to be, you know, they're going to be crapping on themselves. They're going to be commentating all the time about what they've done wrong. They're going to be, they're going to be disappointed and frustrated when they hit a shot. So if you were to sit back and watch them, you would say, what's going on there? Well, they're caught up in an unconscious habit. They're caught up in a mental pattern. And so the first step towards mental mastery is you have to break that pattern. You have to literally stop it. You have to discipline. You have to understand why you need to stop it and understand biochemically. And you'd probably know this better than I would, but biochemically what happens when you let yourself get frustrated. I mean, you get this, you get this cortisol goes into your system. It does a couple of things. One, it shuts off your ability to make decisions because the blood flow goes away from your prefrontal cortex and it goes into your body for the fight or flight. So when I get allow myself to get pissed off after I miss a putt, you know, if, if, I have a, if I have a tricky shot coming up in my next hole, I'm not going to make quite as clear a decision as I would have had I not been pissed off before that. So that's a huge thing. And the other thing that cortisol does apparently is over the over a long period of time, a, you know, the, a small a continuous drip of cortisol into your system, you know, screws up your immune system, leads to heart problems, leads to obesity. I mean, you would know all this. So, I mean, it, it's well, when you think about it, we're we're paying money to go out. There. Some guy, a lot of guys, are paying money to go out there, get frustrated on a regular basis. It does their game no good, and it does their wellness no good. I mean, and, and if you watch the pros, like I mean, one of the probably the best example of this that I can think of with Jason Day when he won the PGA championship. He's playing on the final day of the of a major. He's never won a major yet. He's, you know, obviously he's completely and utterly invested in it. He's playing with Jordan Spieth and Jordan. It was either the year or the year after Jordan had that incredible run. So Jordan's kind of the man at the time and he's a shot or so ahead of Jordan. Jordan hits his ball into, into the junk day hits it on the 13th or 14th hole, something like that, right down the pipe, like 350 yards, right up the middle. He's got a sand wedge in his hand coming in dead center of the fairway. Spieth manages to somehow get it on the green and, and uh, Jason day hits a shot. He lays the sod over it. He hits a sand, he hits a wedge that I would be pissed off about. He's 20 yards short of the green with it. I mean, it was absolutely brutal. Now, if that had been most of the guys that I play with, they'd be pissed. I would have been in the water. Yeah. They'd been, they'd have been, you know, they'd been bent out of shape in an important round of golf, right? Right. Jordan, uh, not Jordan, but uh, Jason Day, he looks over at his caddy, shrugs his shoulders, like, what the hell is that? Walks up to his ball, walks up to his green, gets up and down, moves on, and uh, and wins and wins it. So, to my mind, that ability to be, you know, to remain neutral, the, the the most important thing that you can do for your mental game, I believe, at our level and maybe at the pro level too, is learn how to stay neutral. 
Most people think it's, oh, I got to learn how to be more positive. I got to learn how to think more positive. I got to learn how to be, you know, say affirming, affirming things to myself. And I've got to learn how to be a, a, a more focused on my target. Yeah, all that's important, but it's down the road. Job one is learn to be neutral. Because, and especially for us, we, I can't think of a round of golf that I'm going to play where I'm not going to screw it up somewhere along the line. Yeah. I'm going to make a miss hit. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do something. And again, as a club level player, my handicap's pretty low, but I'm not going to play a perfect round of golf. So, you know, that ability to be neutral, that ability to understand what it means to be neutral and that ability just to shut the hell up when you make a golf shot, that's not, that's not good. That has a profound impact on your ability to layer on these other skills down the road. That makes sense. I'm talking a lot here, Jeremy. Does yeah, that, no, that, does that make sense, sense to you, man? Yeah, that makes sense because, um, you know, I always find myself whenever I get too too high on either either end of the spectrum, mm. then either whether it's my expectations or or what, there's always a change in my game, I guess is the best way. You know, whenever I get really, really mad, I take a ton more bad shots. Um, and so the, the emotions are fueling my movement or whatever, you know, maybe just yeah. kind of get, creating a pattern like you were talking about. Yeah. There. Um, or, you know, when I'm enjoying the game, and I'm just kind of I'm kind of good. Then that that fuels the I guess more the positive side of things. Mm-hmm. Right. And so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can see where we're where being this more even keel where we can stay there in, in the realm of control. Because mm-hmm. I think I think about the like with the muscle. So our muscles have a, a certain amount of tonicity. Um, so amount of tension that they have in them. If they don't have any tension there, you can't really do anything with it. If it has too much, you can't move it because of it. Right. So you yeah. can't move it because you can't either recruit the muscle in order to do the activity right there's there's diseases out there that affect people and they have this issue and there's diseases out there where it affects them the opposite way where they can't you know elongate the muscle because of the too much tone in that muscle too much tension in that muscle. and so i think you kind of the kind of the same concept here with with our emotions or our feelings when we're playing you know one end of the spectrum you're going to not have enough to kind of get you get you going and then the other side of the spectrum you have too much um where you're kind of compensate or whatever that's worked in my brain so yeah so job one learn to be neutral before you can learn to be positive on the golf course before you try to you know enhance your pre-shot routine or or do it you know apply some other technique to, to get you over the hump or whatever just learn to be neutral stop stop commentating stop acting like you're johnny miller on your own shots Nobody else cares. Like I'll say sometimes, Hey man, I, I had to watch it. I don't want to listen to the replay. Yeah. 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 But all so, this comes about, I don't know. I don't know if this, if, if this is relevant for you, but all of this comes about for me because my, uh, my approach to the mental game, it's coming from a, a, a very different angle. You see, I was a, I started as a mental health counselor. And I became a clinical director in a, in a mental health agency. 
Uh, and so I became very good at, at counseling and doing therapy, which is basically, you know, how do you help someone who's dysfunctional and help them get back to normal? Well, somewhere along the way, I asked myself, you know, look, how, how do I go from being average or normal to getting exceptional results in my life? And so I started studying, uh, you know, the mind to try to figure that out. And once I was able to apply that to my own life and career and results, uh, then I was able to help other people do it. So uh, I'm coming from the point of view of I was I was into the mind first, and, and then I found golf. Yeah. As opposed to I was a golf prodigy. I was wanting to play in the PGA Tour. I was a great college golfer. I was all these things, and then somewhere along the way, I thought, you know, this mental stuff's kind of interesting. I think I'll learn some things about it. So I like to think that what I'm offering has. Uh, has potentially some some depth to it that that might not be there from you know more the, the more traditional sources. All right, so we got to start off with with being neutral, right? Before yeah. we can kind of progress on onto some of these the other things. So I guess yeah, what, what are what are I guess techniques or or um, maybe things to practice in order to to I guess get better at being more neutral when these things happen. Okay. Okay. Well, let's talk about the, uh, let's talk about the mind again. You, you got a conscious, you got a subconscious, you, got a, you, you have an unconscious. Well, a conscious mind, you've heard the concepts left brain, right brain before. Yep. It's important to understand why you need to do this. Why being neutral is critical for your, for your, you know, your success on the golf course. And when I say success, it always has those two, those two sides to it. On the one hand, enjoyment, and on the other hand, playing well. Mm. You know, you can't uh, separate the two, unlike a PGA player who is primarily about performance. You know, if they're having a great time, but they're missing cuts every time out, I mean, nobody's going to be too happy about that. Whereas if I'm in a slump and not playing well, well, if I'm still enjoying my round, then nobody cares. I'm paying for the privilege. So anyway, um, you, you have to understand why, which, which we've talked about a bit. But then when you ask yourself, okay, how do I make that change? The key to changing your performance is your imagination, not, not your logical understanding. So it's a, it's a right brain process. So the way to do that is for you to ask yourself, okay, you go back into the last round that you played and identify a shot that wasn't particularly good. And then as if you were watching a YouTube movie of yourself, watch your reaction, watch your post shot reaction. And the reaction is probably going to be a combination of, you know, gestures, body language, words, tone of voice, but whatever reaction it is, any reaction that's, that's not neutral I'd like you to think of that as negative in the long term. It's kind of like smoking. Smoking a cigarette today is not necessarily going to be harmful to you. But if you smoked one, you know, if you smoked a pack a day for however many years, you're going to be in trouble. So just having a feeling of disappointment or saying, oh, my putting sucks or something like that, you know, once, eh, what's the big deal? But when, with the guys I play with anyway, I mean, I see that they're doing that like, Almost every hole, right? Almost every hole. There's some, at the very least, some comment of, "Oh, I hit it fat. Oh, I hit it thin." 
Oh, how did that not break the right? Oh, how did that not break the left? I can't believe that lift out. All that kind of stuff. And it's not useful. So what you need to do is you need to watch yourself in your mind, back in your imagination, watch yourself in your mind, making, doing what you did, and then ask yourself, okay, if I was neutral, how would I have responded? What would my body language be? Would I have said anything? What would I, what would I have done if I had a neutral response to that shot? And then the final thing that you do is you go into your body and you relive it as if you were there. You relive it as if you were um, being neutral. So you hit the shot, you see the result, you're not happy with it, but you're able to just, hey, that's, that's just reality. That's just the way it is. And you walk to the next, walk towards you, walk up the fairway, or or walk onto the green, and you play your next shot. I mean, and that sounds like it's, it almost sounds too easy, but yeah. the challenge with it is the discipline of doing it, because y- your mind can't tell the difference between something that you vividly imagine and something that's actually real. With me, so maybe we can do a little exercise now. Let's let's see if it works. So, what I want you to do, Jeremy, I want you to, and maybe if someone's listening, if someone else is listening to this, close your eyes for a moment. Just close your eyes. Now, in your mind's eye, I want you to imagine that you are in your kitchen. Can you do that? Yep. Okay, good. Now, I want you to imagine that you that you're in your kitchen and you walk over to your fridge and you open the door and you look inside. And what you see on the fridge right there, right in front of you, is a nice fresh lemon. Yep. Got it? Okay, I want you to reach in. I want you to grab the lemon. You can feel a little bump on the end of it, right? Yep. Yeah, okay. So you, you, you grab the lemon, you shut the door, you bring the lemon over to uh, an area where you use to cut vegetables or whatever. And you would, uh, so keep your eyes closed. You take out a knife. You cut the lemon in half. Got it? Got it. Can you see it? Yes, okay. I can. Cut the, take half the lemon, cut that in half. Okay. Now, when you look at this lemon, you should be able, when we look at one of the quarters of the lemon, you should be able to see like a little, a little droplet of juice that kind of forms when you, when you cut it, right? Yeah. Now, just take that quarter lemon with, with your, with, in your hand, and I want you to imagine that you bring it right up to your mouth and you take a big bite. Okay, there, good. You, you got the response I was looking for. Yeah. Okay, so now you, you know that you're talking to me. You know you're not in your kitchen. But at some level, I could tell by your response that you had a... Yeah, that yeah, bitterness. You, yeah, you had the bitterness in your mouth, right? So once again, you, you had a physiological reaction to something that was completely imaginary. So the mind can't, the, the subconscious mind can't tell the difference between something that's real and imagined. Yeah, that makes so sense. So if you want to change the habit, it's not about, if you, think about it. If, if you took everything that Bob Rotella wrote, I mean, 
you would know everything. I mean, the, the guy did a brilliant job of writing what it takes to, you know, to be mentally tough on the PGA tour. I mean, a lot of respect for him. And as I mentioned, those other people, Pia Nilsson and Lynn Mary, I mean, they do great work. And all of the things that are, that, that we see as uh, essentials of the mental game, everybody knows them intellectually. Is there one avid player at your golf course who doesn't know that he should accept his mishits or that he, she, she should focus on one shot at a time, or he should stay in the moment, or he should be patient, or he should focus on his targets, or, or he shouldn't be thinking about mechanics and about, we know all that stuff. But how many golfers at your club can actually do it? Not many. Not many. So the, the, the issue here isn't, oh, I need to get some, I need to agree with some new information. The, the issue is, can I do what it takes to imagine myself in this new behavior and imagine it to the point where my subconscious mind is willing to adopt it on the golf course? Because to me, acceptance of a bad shot isn't squashing my feelings. It's not, I'm pissed off as hell, but I'm just not going to say anything to myself. Accepting the shot is, I literally have no reaction to it. I'm unaffected by it. I'm in a tournament that, like Jason Day. It's like, what the hell was that? I mean... So I, I hit a shot that if I'm, I'm about to win a major and I hit a shot that a 15 handicap would be pissed off about, but guess what? That's golf. I'm on to my, I'm on to what I have to do to get up and down. And the way to make that change is by tapping into your imagination. It's not by intellectually agreeing with a new concept because you already know the concept. Right. Yeah. I Definitely see that. And I like the imagery. Um, I use that sometimes with injured athletes uh, in physical therapy because you, you mentioned that imagery, your muscles automatically do that same thing. Um, there you go. And so you can, you can basically voluntarily or involuntarily, I guess, get the muscle to kind of react to something uh, just imagining it. And so sometimes with mm-hmm. like an injured uh, golfer, it could be simply a simple, okay, we're going to have you, you can't take swings, but maybe we put, you know, get you into kind of a situation of talking through it and feeling, feeling that and imagining that. And so that way these muscles continue to kind of remember what they're supposed to be doing, but not really having to do the movement. So. See, so that, that's where, from my point of view, and again, it might sound contrarian, but where the typical golf psychologist is going to say, you need to be standing in the think box, imagining a perfect shot. I would say if you're going to spend any time imagining, spend it at home imagining reacting neutrally to a bad shot. That'll pay much more dividends to you because you're not going to be able to hit the perfect shots anyway. Yeah. No matter how much you imagine it. Yeah. So I, I, that, that imagination aspect obviously takes place after bad shots. We can all do it today because we've all had bad shots in our, in our lifetime that we probably still recall. I can think of the last time I got out and played, I, shanked one over into the trees that I was trying to avoid. So that's what I was thinking of. Uh, how did I react to that point when you were asking or talking about it? And yeah. um, what, what would you, what got any recommendations for kind of maybe in the moment when you realize, Oh shoot, I'm not being neutral. What, what do we, what do we do to kind of pull us back into that neutrality? 
Okay. Well, um, I would answer that by, by saying, uh, first of all, that everybody is different. And, uh, you know, in the same way, like some people are introverts, some people are extroverts, some people are uh, more analytical than others. Um, so, you know, a specific answer for you might be different than, you know, uh, uh, than some other individual. But in general, um, if I was asked for a technique, uh, probably the best one that I know is simply being able to ask yourself what's happening now. Again, sounds, sounds really simple, but um, the problem with the, um, if you think about, if you think about your thought process, typically our thoughts are when we're thinking we're, we're locked in the past or we're locked in the future, typically. And so if you find yourself, you know, if, if, if you find yourself that you're, you go, whoa, I'm negatively, negatively reacting. On the one hand, that's really good because you're building awareness. Yeah. Because what, what, what happens to a guy who's just lost in this pattern of behavior, or this lost in this habit is at, at some level, he doesn't even know what he's doing. And it's just, it's just kind of his routine. It's as much a part of his routine as anything else in the golf course. But if you can recognize it and you can ask yourself what's happening now, well, the answer to what's happening now is what? My ball's over there and I have to play a, and I have to play a shot. That's it. It's kind of like you get back to, you know, you get you go back to square one or point A or whatever you want to call it, but I found that that's been very useful for me because you can spiral away into, you know, and the one of the problems with with the getting frustrated typically for golfers is, you know, it, it launches you onto a side path of swing mechanics almost, almost all the time for most guys. So I'm really pissed. I just hit one in the woods. Oh man, did, did I not turn my shoulder or was my, you know, was I not lined up? Was I, you know, did I not release that club or did I not get into the slot or And once you go there, man, mail it in, you're done. And you see that all the time with, with guys that, that I play with, at least that, you you know, they make a bad shot and they're off to the side and they're working on whatever. And yep. when, they, when they need to do that is when they make a good shot. Yeah, they need to ask themselves, Hey, how did I do that? How did that happen? <laughs> right. Right. Well, but yeah. So that would be, that would be a question. But again, the, the biggest thing for me is that not, not looking for questions or not looking for techniques that are going to save it. The idea is if you're serious enough about it, if you're serious enough about it, you know, do some work on your mental game away from the core. So when I say some work and you don't need to be spending, you know, like hours and hours and hours a day, or you don't need to be, you know, doing it, but you just spend a little bit of time. And that's where, from my point of view, you get guys, if you're not, if you're not spending time practicing your physical game and you're not, you're not devoting at least a little bit of time to sharpening your mental game, then you've got no right to get pissed off. I mean, what do you expect? It's, you know, the hardest game on the planet and you're going to go out there and put no effort into it and expect to shoot your best round every time you tee it up. Yeah. I mean, you, you ask any golfer and you're like, you know, how much of it is mental versus physical? And, you know, majority of them are say something like 90% or more mental than it is physical. Yeah. And 
how often do you see people actually doing what you're saying where you're you know proactively working on improving yeah. you know, that mental side rather than being yeah. oh gotta get out there and gotta gotta check my mechanics is, is my is my grip off is is uh my, yeah. my rolling properly and, and whatnot so yeah well it's very true and if you, you know i know we're getting kind of close to the end here but uh um if if someone was to say to me look what's the number one thing you can do for your mental game i'd probably say buy a journal buy a blank journal and then they would say, well, what the hell am I supposed to do with this blank journal? I would say, get in the habit of writing down your best shots after every round. Yeah, that was another. Because that's the next phase. The first phase is being able to get the neutral. And then the second phase of, of the four phases that I've identified, maybe we'll finish on this, but the second phase is actually being able to enjoy your best shots. And the paradox is, if you look at... Um, avid players for the most part the the lower you go down the handicap scale the less the the less the the guy or gal will will seem to be enjoying a really good shot right in other words the, the their their emotional energy goes onto their bad shots. If you think about it just as energy, you know, like let's say, let's say the subconscious doesn't care where your energy goes, right? right? Doesn't care if it goes negative, doesn't care if it goes positive, just, it just notices where your energy goes and because of the unconscious wiring, it's going to make that a habit. So if you were to look at emotional reactions on the golf course, let's say you had a, let's say you had a good player, somebody who's, uh, you know, He's a four, five, six, seven handicap, good player. And he's out there and he's shooting around, you know, he's having a good round. He's going to come in at, you know, 76, 77, 78, solid day. But let's say he has a double bogey in one of the holes. Chances are, if he gets onto the, if he gets onto that double bogey hole, chances are he will have a strong emotional reaction to whatever shot or shots that he screwed up. They might not verbalize it, but chances are that's where his emotions will be strong there. And the same guy on the next hole pipes his drive right up the middle, 270 yards. And all the guys in the foursome go, oh, great drive. His response is, thanks. Still mad about the total flat, total flat line. And what I trained myself to do is I trained myself to put my emotional energy into my best shots and to stay neutral over my worst. Now, in my opinion, you got to start with the neutral. You got to be able to get to understand what neutral means, get to neutral, be able to be there when you, after you hit a bad shot. But then if you can, on top of that ability to be neutral, if you can now start to add that where my emotional energy goes is onto my best swings. I hit a great shot. I mean, I don't need to pump my chest and go, you know, buggy eyed like Ian Poulter at the, at the, uh, at the Ryder cup, but you know, I still should be able to feel some kind of, Oh man, that's why I'm here. It was a great, that's why I'm here. I don't have to say it to anybody else, but if I can feel it, then I'm on my way to training my brain to pay attention to, to the good shots that are, that I, that I make 
And again, that's where you would use, a, in my opinion, you would use a journal to, uh, to start to get your brain into the habit of that's what this guy focuses on. That's what he pays attention to. Yeah, I love that. I love the, uh, the idea of building this journal or library of, of good shots. I uh, came across to that in another podcast I talked with a, a golf professional about doing that to improve um, your, your game and your confidence in particular, which you just... You it was a game. It was an You mentioning that the, the, the brain focuses on that. That's one of the aspects of, of the brain. It's actually part of the brain stems called the RAS, particular articulating system. I butchered that. I messed yeah. up. Anyways, and, but, you know, whenever you... The greatest example I, I hear about this is whenever you go to buy a car, you, you see this car and... You buy it, and now it's become important to you, and so you start seeing that car everywhere all the time. And you go, yeah, "I never absolutely. saw this car beforehand," and now it's because it's important yeah. to you. Your brain goes, "Boom! There it is! Boom! There it is! Boom! There it is!" And I'm like, "What?" Yeah, um, absolutely. So, so I like how, how doing that would would you know build the confidence, but also make that important to you, and so it's going to try to register yeah. that when it happens. And again, for your professional guy there. I mean, his purpose is performance, period, end of story. He wants to build that confidence, and, and that will help. My purpose is this yin-yang balance of, I, I want, yes, I want to play as well as I can, but I'm paying for recreation here. And if I'm not enjoying my best moments, what the hell am I paying for? Yeah. All right. Well, Kent, thank you so much for coming yeah. on today. I got a few just quick questions just to, that I ask everybody on, on here. What's your favorite golf yeah. memory? Oh, it's it's got to be winning the club championship last year. That was, for me, from where I came from, that was pretty special because, truthfully, you know, when I was 58-ish, 59-ish, if you had said to my buddies, hey, this this guy's going to win the, the club C in a few years, they'd have laughed in your face. So, <laughs> uh, And, and they, they would have been right to do so. It's not that they would have been rude or whatever. Yeah. It's just that I, I did not have the game. So uh, that was a special moment for me. Oh, very cool. Uh, what's your favorite exercise or drill to improve your personal game? My physical game, you mean? Your, your personal game. My, so it could be whatever you might use that you feel like that helps you play better. Well, I would say two things. I, I religiously use my journal, religiously. And, uh, but I, I would say the, the thing that, that the, the final thing that got me over the top was, uh, was uh, practicing my short game, but practicing my short game in, in, uh, on the course as much as I can and from terrible lies. You know, it's not about dropping five balls on a, on a perfect lie 10 yards in front of the green. It's putting it in holes, putting, putting in, Put you know fried eggs, just practicing every bad break that you could possibly practice, and doing it out there on the course where it's real. Uh, that I do that as often as I can, I, and and the best player at my club, I you know I saw him doing it, so it was like, hmm, I wonder why he's the best player. So uh, yep. I try to pick that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Thank you so much, Kent, for uh, coming on. Before we, we wrap this up, tell us where can we learn more about you and, and what you're doing? Okay, well, um, uh, I'm on Twitter at Scratch Attitude. 
uh, I've just started something on Instagram, uh, same thing at Scratch Attitude, and, and my website is scratchattitude.com. But uh, so if, if you want to get a if you want to get a sense of what I'm uh, what I'm doing, I think Twitter would be a good place to have a look, and then uh, you can buy my book Play Like Ray on uh, on scratchattitude.com, and I'm also uh, offering one to one coaching, which I think is uh, I'm I'm pretty excited about too. So, uh, but all that's on the website. So all thank right. you, Jeremy. I appreciate your time, man. No, thank you nice so much. We will have Kent's information in the show notes below. And thank you so much, Kent, for coming on. And thank you guys for making it this far on the podcast. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Hopefully you've enjoyed this content on the go. If you found it helpful, please share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. This allows us to reach more golfers just like you that want to play under par. Do you want to be stronger and healthier? Well, I've got a resource, Golf Fitness Tips. It's a free Facebook group where we talk about how to take care of our bodies so that we can play more golf, we can play golf longer in life, and we can play better on the course. If that interests you, then check out the link below or search for Golf Fitness Tips on Facebook.